Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. As you know, Brad Thor is the number one New York best-selling author of many political thrillers now, and this is the newest Scott Harveth, foreign agent, and it is number two on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, please welcome Brad Thor. Thank you. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for coming out. I appreciate it. I always love coming back to Colorado, and the Tattered Cover takes such very good care of me. Thank you. Not just uh, when I come to do an event here, but all throughout the year, because I know uh, a lot of customers come in that haven't read me before, and you all are so wonderful to uh, introduce as many people as you do to my work. So, But thank all of you for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, I like to tell people that uh, when I go out on tour, it's not just readers I'm meeting with. It's the people I work for. So I like to come out and say thank you for my incredible job and uh, to hear what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of and all that kind of good stuff. We've got a lot of people tonight and I know we want to take pictures and sign books. So what I thought I would do is just give you a real quick behind the scenes of where the idea for Foreign Agent came from. And then I want to take your questions because the back and forth and the, the, the Q&A is always the most interesting point for me. Um, Books happen for me as an author in many different ways. Sometimes I will get an entire plot in my head. Sometimes I'll just get a title. Bless you. Uh, It'd be a great title. Maybe that'll be the next one. I'll I'll do it for my, uh, uh, maybe I'll do that for my Spanish priest uh, who used to be in the intelligence business, Padre Peo. Maybe I'll call that bless you and we'll put a big weapon on the front of the book and... uh, Some guy running, you know, it's very popular now. Everybody's got the silhouettes. Maybe the guy will be running out of a church. That'll be the new book. So I'll send you a check for that. Thank you. Uh, So anyway, books happen in my head in many different ways. In this case, the way Foreign Agent came to life, I had a friend of mine who's an intelligence operative come visit me, and he was showing me pictures of a safe house that his team had used in the Middle East. And it looked like something out of Lawrence of Arabia. It was an old fortress that... Uh, One of the towers was knocked down. A lot of the stones were missing. It was crumbling, but it was just gorgeous out in the desert. And underneath had been an interrogation facility that the the government of that country had used it for. I can only imagine the horrific stuff that went on down there. And I thought, wow, this is a really cool facility. I said, tell me what it was like. What was it like being out in the desert and using this as your base of operations and blah, 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 blah. And I said, could I put this in a book? He said, well, you'd have to change a bunch of things. I wouldn't want you to say precisely where it was. But he said, yeah, absolutely. So I thought, okay, great opening set piece, like a movie. This would be fun. And who am I going to put in the set piece? And I thought, well, that's easy. I want a special operations team that's going to be there. They're getting ready to launch into Syria. Uh, I had been really interested in how ISIS in particular was using Twitter and all different forms of social media to attract people. And they'd get people hooked and then move them into encrypted chat rooms where they could uh, talk with them. And it's areas that the NSA has had trouble cracking 
tracking, uh, other foreign intelligence agencies. And I said, okay, great. So it's going to be a black ops team that's there, um, probably a clandestine team that the CIA would use, and uh, something's going to go wrong. And I thought, okay, well, something going wrong would be nobody's supposed to know they're there, but somebody figures it out and they get ambushed. And then I said, okay, last thing I do got to do is figure out how my main character, Scott Harvath, ties into this. I said, okay, well, he's going to be the one that helped develop the bulk of the intelligence for this uh, for this operation. So all eyes are going to turn to him. He's going to have to unscramble. How did the word get out that this team was there? Who ambushed them? Why? And so on and so forth. So it's amazing for those of you who have been keeping up on the news today with what happened in Turkey uh, earlier when I got off the airplane. By the way, anybody see me on the Today Show this morning? Not a single person. Wow. So I, okay, well, one person. So um, I had been at a signing in Phoenix last night, and uh, I had gotten asked a couple weeks ago if I wanted to be on the Today Show this morning to kick off their summer book. Uh, season. And I said, absolutely. I absolutely wanted to do it. So I finished an event at eight o'clock last night in Phoenix, ran to the airport, took the red eye to New York, got in. They had a hotel room for me around the corner from the Today Show. I shaved, pressed my suit, ran to the Today Show, ran back out to the airport, got on an airplane and came to Denver. And tomorrow I go to Charlotte, North Carolina. So it's like this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But I'm glad. And it was excellent, wasn't it? Don't you feel bad for everybody that didn't get to see it? It was probably Probably one of the best pieces of television. I think, I yeah, thank you. I, we're, we're thinking Peabody Emmy Award. We don't know, but it's going to be, it's going to make Hamilton look like nothing the way they cleaned up. It's going to be fantastic. So anyway, that's how, that's how foreign agent started uh, in my, in my mind. And I got, I moved it forward, but with uh, the attacks in Turkey today, there is, uh, there is a little bit of stuff set in Turkey. So that was wild for me to see this come true. It didn't take somebody with a crystal ball to realize the Turks were going to see more and more problems, particularly from ISIS. Uh, But just interesting. I always, I, I always try to beat the headlines with my, with my novels. That's one of the things I'm trying to do. And this was amazing because I started out writing this when, there had been the James Foley, the um, the reporter uh, that had uh, ISIS had. Uh, there's a young man in the audience, so I'm going to be careful with describing what's in those videos. But we've seen them, and it went from those terrible videos to what happened in San Bernardino, what happened in Paris, what happened in Brussels, and now Istanbul. So it's amazing how quickly things are moving with this group. They've been very successful, and it was very interesting to learn the things about them. I did while I was writing this, and again. I'm a thriller writer. I want I want it to be a, a fun read, uh, but I also want to base it. I say that Stephen King, I would never say Stephen King has it easy compared to me, but he gets to create his own rules when it's supernatural and all this kind of stuff. I have to stay within the parameters of what the CIA would do or the Navy SEALs would do or Delta Force. So there's a little bit of a different box there for me. But uh, how about some questions? Let's do a little Q&A. We can talk about anything you want to talk about Uh and I will repeat the question for the podcast. Absolutely. Boy, are you podcast listeners in for a treat. And if you could only see how good looking this audience is, you'd want to come to every tattered cover book signing event. So, yes, sir. Are you still considering a run for president? Am I still considering a run for president? I'll tell you, my dear friend Glenn, you never know what's going to happen when you get on the radio with Glenn. Uh, He actually started polling it today. He put it out, and it had me at 58% in his polls. I'm sure he's got his thumb on the scale. Uh, 
you know what? It was a. Uh, it, I would. I would love to at least debate. I would love to do that to cut through all the special interest stuff because I'm a big small small government person. My grandfather was the first one born in this country uh, in my family, and he worked for the telephone company in Illinois. My dad is a no longer active Marine, and uh, the goal for our family was the American dream. We wanted each generation to do better than the one before. I want my children to do better than I did. Um, so we've always felt an incredible commitment to this country and our family and have believed that we're not just citizens, but that we're stewards, that we have a job, uh, we have an absolute obligation to pass on a freer, more prosperous, more successful nation to the next generation uh, than uh, was handed to us. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll leave it there. I have, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. i quite flattered to be polling at 58% in the glenbeck.com poll. So, yes, sir. Wow, that's an excellent question. What uh, what question would I ask the two candidates if I could ask them anything? Uh, and you got to ask, and then you've got to stick them for the answer because both of them, uh, you know, I'd be people dodge. Um, that's boy, that's such a good question. I think my question would probably have to do with uh, the the founding vision for the country and uh, have we lived up to the the standards set by the founders? Have we gotten further away from from what that idea was? Uh, you know, is is government serving the appropriate role? And that might be that actually would probably be a good question. What's the appropriate role of governments? That would be a fascinating question. Um, I think for both candidates. I think for any candidate. Running Running for office, I, I did a post on my Facebook page about liberty, and I said that liberty is my litmus test, and that I weigh everything by liberty. Does this particular ordinance in my community that the that the city council is proposing does that give me more liberty or less? Is this candidate going to help de- deliver more liberty or less? That's always my my thing. So I think what's the appropriate role of government? I think would be a fascinating question to ask anyone. Um, so that's good. If I see Hugh Hewitt and he's going to do any more debates, I'll feed him that, uh, I'll feed him that question. He, Hugh Hewitt was pushing me to run for vice president on the libertarian ticket. I've never watched a libertarian uh, conference until this year, right up to the naked guy. I mean, that, that was a wild, wild conference. Uh, very, very interesting. And I had had uh, Governor Johnson, uh, the New Mexico governor, was uh, in Chicago a couple years ago before I moved, and I had breakfast with him at a friend's house. A buddy of mine uh, knew Governor Johnson. Really smart man. Super nice. Uh, real athlete. Loves to run and everything. I just uh, thought he was fascinating to sit and eat breakfast with. And I liked him because he had vetoed more legislation in his terms as governor of New Mexico than all the other governors combined. So I thought that was really cool. Anybody that can say no that many times in, in that position and not worry about getting reelected, that's that's a neat trait. So thank you for that question. But another question. Yes, sir. Uh, do you think that with the recent Brexit for Great Britain, they'll uh, face retaliation by the EU or by ISIS? So that's a great question. So uh, do I think that the recent Brexit uh, Great Britain leaving the EU, will they face retaliation from the EU or from ISIS? Um, I don't know. I'm still I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like for the Brits. I mean, obviously, uh, it's it's Britain. I mean, Britain's been around for what 17 centuries, and there's this EU 
thing just didn't work for him. And I, I listen, as an American, I wouldn't want, I think this was, I think it was Charles Crownhammer or George Will that said, as Americans, we wouldn't want somebody in Toronto or down in Caracas making decisions that affect every single thing in our lives. So I can understand wanting to, uh, wanting to keep uh, that ability closer to home. It's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I don't know what's going to happen to him. Um, but I do think the threat of terrorism uh, looms large for anyone and everyone. I mean, we saw what happened in Paris and then what happened in Brussels. Uh, and, you know, many years ago, they had the 7-7 bombings in, um, in Great Britain. So I think there's a lot of, in London. I think there's a lot of concern that it could happen anywhere. I mean, that's even here. That's always been one of my greatest concerns is that we could see kind of a constant state of, uh-oh, what's going to happen next the way Israel has. Um, and so I think that's, that's something that we all have to keep our eyes open now. We've seen it can happen at a Christmas party for a county, a group of county employees in California or at a nightclub in, in, uh, in Orlando. So it's something uh, that I think it's become a new reality that we all have to be prepared for. So, but I hope I didn't politician and spin away too much from your question, but I'm practicing in case I do run for president. It's, it's you get better at it. The more you, you know, kind of dance and yeah. Okay, thank you. I said that if I did end up in D.C., I'd need an office with a shower because so many of those people are so sleazy. I'd probably take like six showers a day just to wash the politics off of me. But, yeah, lots of soap. Yeah, I know, like turpentine or be a paint thinner. What another question? Uh, yes, sir. How do I balance? That's a great question. This is a very, very bright crowd. I like these questions. How do I balance security with liberty? I'm going to paraphrase Ben Franklin, who said, those who would trade a little liberty for a little added security deserve neither and will lose both. This is, this is and that's, it's very true. You have to be... You have to be careful. Security, so when I wrote, how many folks in here read my thriller Blacklist? Okay, so wow, almost everybody in here. So that was the big issue in Blacklist that I threw out there, which was how much are you willing to trade away to be safe? And it's funny because I talked about having breakfast with Gary Johnson. My buddy who invited me to that breakfast, his wife and I had this conversation when she read uh, Blacklist. And we did the liberty versus security thing. And I said, you know, there's all these things they're thinking about doing and facial recognition at sporting events and concerts and blah, 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 and tagging your cell phone and grabbing certain data when it goes by. That it's added to a profile that's got your biometrics in it. And she said, well, if it keeps me and my kids safe at the football game, then I'm all for it. And I said, okay, what happens if we get to a point where your kids are considered to be promoting speech that's not favorable to a particular power in D.C. and that same technology that kept you safe 10 years ago or 20 years ago is now being used to track down either your one of your two sons or your daughter. I said, it's an interesting kind of cocktail party question. I think security is a is an individual responsibility. That's one. Uh, but it's also you have to have national security. It, it is not easy. My thing is, is every time something bad happens, we kind of clamp down and we, we lose more of our civil liberties. So we stand in longer security lines now than ever. So the reaction of our government when there's an attack or something like that is some of it makes sense. We've got to tune up. We know that these guys are trying to get liquids in to build bombs. So therefore, you know, I can't show up with my bottle of water and take it through security. I get it. So if you're going to take that away from me, I want to know that you're actually putting as much effort, if not more, into going after the ideology that's creating these guys. And that's the one thing where I think we don't do enough of that, is that, you know, the moderate peaceful Muslims are the ones that 
only have the power to reform their religion. And when we make excuses and we kind of dance away from the fact that it's a fundamentalist ideology, it's the 7th century interpretation of, uh, of that particular faith, I think if we're not going after it, we're not helping the reformers. Uh, there's a great article in the Huffington Post that I read years ago by an author named Sam Harris, and he was called Losing Our Spines to Save Our Necks, where we won't confront the ideology head on. You can say what you want about Baptists and Catholics and Buddhists and blah, 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 on and on, but you can't go into the public square and have an open and honest dialogue about Islam because they've kind of walled themselves off and they don't want the criticism, or if you do criticize, then we're going to kill you, kind of a thing. And so we've backed off because of political correctness, and that hurts the reformers in Islam. That actually... There are people out there that want the pressure put on the faith so that there's little cracks that they can then exploit to encourage reformation. Judaism has had a reformation. Christianity has, but Islam has not. And so that's a, that's a big issue. And that's one that I think we could be even more helpful to the moderates who want to reform their faith by keeping the dialogue going. And I think that gets us towards more security than just standing in longer security lines. I understand the TSA, a lot of great veterans there, a lot of good men and women that work there. But if the government's not going to be as forward-thinking and as aggressive with going after the ideology. We can play whack-a-mole and kill these guys wherever they pop up and hit them with drones and stuff, but if you don't, if you don't uncouple the ideology, it's never going to go away. It's going to keep coming back. So thank you for that question. Yes, sir. Wow, I, I had not I had not seen that. I'm the son of a Marine, um, and I I'd seen stuff about you know firearms training, and I'm a big yeah. I, I it's there's a lot of the it. I'm a I'm a very pro law enforcement guy. So and I'm not somebody that thinks. Listen, this is the same government that runs the post office and can't get that running right and can't. So I don't believe there's a big conspiracy out there that they're suddenly going to get ready to ship us off to FEMA camps or anything like that. I I just don't believe in it. I don't think these guys could they could screw up a one car funeral. I mean. Yeah, well, that is something you have to worry about. I I do a lot of training so that I can get the stuff right in my books. So I spend a lot of time getting invited to train with different units and things like this. I have never met anything but incredibly honorable men and women in local law enforcement and federal law enforcement. Now, it takes all kinds to make up any department. There's plenty of police departments with people that probably shouldn't be there that aren't good in their leadership roles or aren't good, you know, even on the patrol officer level. But anybody who rises to the level of going on a tactical team, that's somebody who's saying, I'm going to take on even more danger. I mean, your average street cop can do a felony traffic stop and it could be a gunfight like that. But the people who sign up to do the, the tactical stuff are going to do warrant search or they're going to, they're going to do warrant service and things like this. I've got a lot of respect for the men and women that do that. So I haven't read anything like that and I haven't seen anything spending time and going out for beers and burgers afterwards and stuff. I haven't seen anything that concerns me about that at all. And I've been out with lots of lots of teams. But thank you for the question. Yes, ma'am. So, okay, so great question. So uh, the question was that I had made the comment that 
Donald Trump was an extinction level event. I'll take that first part. That actually was Andrew Sullivan. And I was quoting Andrew Sullivan's first essay. Uh, he's just become an essayist for uh, New York Magazine. And that's what he had called Trump. And so uh, Glenn had heard me talking about that. And this was on Glenn's program. So again, I was joking around. I get, I have, I have a lot of fun with Glenn, but there is a lot. You, you have to hear the whole thing and there is a context. So that was talking about Sullivan said that, that he thought he was a potential extinction level event for conservatism, for the Republican brand. That had been that thing. Um, and then, of course, there's the there's the Hillary Clinton issue. There's, you know, the Supreme Court's coming up. There's appointments to Supreme Court, all that kind of stuff. So when I had my conversation with Glenn, we had talked about um, – so – the gentleman had asked, what would I ask on a debate stage? What would I – and my thing would be, what's the appropriate role of government? Um, Donald Trump, very successful in the primaries. I stood on stage with Governor Rick Perry of Texas, and I loved his record in Texas and the climate he had helped to create. And I thought if he could help create that, because politicians don't create jobs. They help create a climate in which job creators, particularly small businesses, want to expand, want to hire, and that's where we get job creation from, is actual employers. So my concern was what happens – uh, in a situation where we've got a candidate who does not speak about the Constitution, does not say the word liberty. I, I haven't heard him say it unless it's, hey, I'm glad to be here at Liberty University today. That's the only time I've heard Donald Trump speak about liberty. Um, there had been an article in Foreign Affairs. I'm, I geek out on this stuff. I really, really like the political thing because, again, this is, this is my family. We feel it's incumbent upon us to be good stewards. And you can't, if you haven't read the operator's manual, you can't expect to be a good driver, a good operator of machinery. And the founding documents are the operator's manual of the United States. The only blueprint this country needs for success, in my opinion, can be found in those, in those documents. It's, it's the key. It's what made us the greatest nation in the history of the world, greatest force for good, on and on. So the, uh, the foreign affairs thing was about that people who compare Donald Trump to Hitler and Mussolini, unfair comparison, completely unfair. But if you look at personality traits, he lines up very well with a lot of the very strong uh, men from Latin America, like a, uh, a Pinochet, like a Peron, like, and it's personality traits. It's, it's certain things they say, it's the way they ca- carry themselves, it's their appeal to, to a certain groups, blah, 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 blah. So that's where the whole, the whole thing got going. And I said, would it surprise you to get to a point where Donald Trump, because he's not steeped to the way you are, Glenn, or I am in the founding documents, would it surprise you if during his administration he said, boy, you know, I have a mandate to get America winning again. That's why I got voted in. But with these restraints placed on me by the Constitution and what Congress tells me, I, I, we, we can't win under this scenario. So trust me, I want to suspend it and then I'll get us winning again and then we can bring the, the things back. And that was, that was our jumping off point. I mean, quite literally, my day job is to come up with crazy stuff, is to come up with the what if scenarios and that kind of stuff. So that's where we, that's where we came from. And, you know, it's always hard when you have an outsider that doesn't have a political track record to say, okay, well, this is how they voted on this and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's, where, they, that's where that whole thing comes from. I mean, it's, I think it's the Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. I mean, this is probably the most interesting, uh, you know, I watched some very good Republican men and a woman walk into a gunfight, you know, carrying, uh, you know, sporks from Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, they were absolutely outgunned. They didn't know how to get down and, and wrestle with Donald Trump. And he's the presumptive nominee now. So it's, you know, as me, I'd be 
I was thrilled to see the list of potential Supreme Court justices, but then within 24 hours he said, but maybe I won't pick anybody from this list. You know, if he had just, whoop, right there at the justices and left it there, it would have been, but I could go on and on and on. And I'm, in fact, my family jokes that like Al-Anon, there should be a 12-step program for me and it would be called On and On and On. So I know I go long with my answers, but how about we do one more question and then I want to do, we go to you, sir. Yes. So of the training exercises I've been involved in, which, all right, so I will tell you that probably the coolest, and I'm going to count this as a training exercise, um, I got invited to fly with the Blue Angels. And uh, you know what? I was never a happy taxpayer until that 45 minutes I spent in an F-18, and that was some of my tax time, and all of yours as well, so thank you. Um, sadly, that uh, the pilot I flew with was the pilot who died in Tennessee at the air show, which is uh, an unbelievable, unbelievable man. In this, He was a Marine aviator. This pilot is the type of guy that would have ridden the jet all the way down to make sure it didn't crash into a school, a church, an apartment complex. I mean, he was that incredible. If you haven't seen the video i have it up on my facebook page you can hear him talking to me he's it's he's so cool it's like being with one of the guys out of top gun was an absolutely amazing amazing guy so if you haven't seen it again please come to my facebook page uh and and look at it thank you all for coming and let me also thank you the greatest thing that you all do for me and all of the other authors out there is talk to people about books the best books I've ever read are the books somebody has given me and said, you've got to read this. Whether it's a bookseller, whether it's a friend, whether it's somebody I work with. So if I can say thank you for everything you've done for me in supporting my books, thank you for what you do for all books. Because no matter who you meet, if they're a reader, you have that shared love of books together. And it's a great, great way to, uh, to communicate with people and to share that love. And uh, the final thing I will ask is, can we, I know you have your way of organizing. If anyone has any, because this gentleman's got his son it looks like with him anybody with children because i'm trying to encourage the next generation of readers i don't want some kid to say yeah i liked reading until i went to that thor thing and i stood in line for three hours when i was five (laughs) so if that'll work so i'll turn it back over ladies and gentlemen thank you again very much for coming all right so that's all for tonight's author on tour I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.